Welcome back to Beyond the Sectors, your bi-monthly podcast all about the beyond world of author duo Kit Roca. My name is Chelsea. And I'm Anna. And uh, right off the bat, friends, I want to apologize. This is not a just like sexy vocal fry that I've decided to start doing for you guys. I am sick or uh, have just recently been sick. So if you hear uh, a scratchy throw or some awkward edits, just assume there was like a giant coughing fit that I had to like cut around or something. Uh, and we'll blame that. <laughs> Sacrifices we make for podcasting oh, The show must go on, friends. We suffer for our <laughs> art. Um, but we are here today to talk about the first four of our last seven short stories. Uh, for the Kit Roca-verse. Uh, we are here today to talk about Six Sense, Mackay, Diplomacy, and Zombies. I guess we'll just jump right in. Do you, We'll start with Six Sense. Do you want to do a little, like, I guess, plot synopsis? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, it's set af- after Deacon, so chronologically between Deacon and Ivan, and it's really uh, about Cora and Ashwin fretting and thinking about their future baby and the ramifications of being a child of both of them. Yeah, it's um, largely from Ashwin's point of view. We see him literally kind of just watching Cora sleep. He is this time thinking very specifically about what the case is going to be for his and Cora's baby, because as a Mackay soldier, and as we learned in uh, their book, a member of Project uh, Panacea, we don't know what it's going to be like for this basically kind of like super baby this is potentially a kind of genetically superior baby and they don't know in what way and how that's going to manifest which of course uh, Ashwin doesn't deal well with unknown variables so he's just mm-hmm. trying to process his way through that yeah and it's really ju- actually it's just really sweet of how he frets himself in and thinks about it so deeply till he gets to a moment of peace and it's very much about how his thought process works and how much he loves Cora and how much he wants everything to be okay for this baby. And I just love the resolution to it. It's just such a cute little way for it to be like, yep, there's going to be challenges, but it's going to be perfect. And yeah, I love that. Yeah, I really love it. This is a really sweet story. It's really um, sexy, but it's also kind of like playful. It is um, definitely not like a PG story, but I think it really kind of combines the physicality of their relationship with also some really interesting moments because we hear a little bit from Cord too that they're kind of sharing the same fears. And I think it really kind of continues mm-hmm. what we saw in their book of the fact that they are better versions of themselves together because we we see the way Ashwin's thought process maybe has kind of evolved or changed or I mean, you know, maybe he has relaxed a little bit or he has grown a mm-hmm. little bit more uncom- more comfortable with the fact that he can't always be in control of every single variable. So he kind of makes the commitment to being fully in control of what he can control and then trying to let go of the things that maybe he can't. Right. There's so much trust embedded into where they're going in their relationship now that she he trusts in their love. And that 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 they have a future, which you know we don't uh, always get to see, and so that's what's really nice about these vignettes specifically, is they continue to do some of that world building and future providing beyond just what we get in the novels. Um, yeah, that kind of sums up that one. Um, mm-hmm. the, the four we're talking six about today sense. aren't super long. That was <laughs> six cents. Uh, again, Cora and Ashwin said after Deacon, 
The next one we'll talk about is Makai. This is set in between Deacon and Ivan and is interesting because I think this is one of the first vignette stories that we've gotten that's just from a solo point of view and isn't about continuing the story of one of the couples that we've already established. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we get to see Samson's point of view, who we've seen in the series pop up as a ally of Ashwin, but also, you know, a threat. Um, And in this one, we see him that he is keeping tabs on Cora and Ashwin, making himself very at home in uh, Sector 1, somewhat to his own... um, concerned that he's realizing he's become pretty predictable that he's really enjoying being in sector one and it ends with a rather menacing element um of just of the person you you should you should fear as a person who you know smiles and reads and minds their business and it's really interesting because samson is the only other makai soldier that we've ever seen who's not ashwin and so we're able to see the ways in which like their makai training clearly has instilled them both with like similar traits but also just how they still think differently as people, you know, like they are still different Mm -hmm. individuals. And so there are, you know, he's making the same kind of risk assessments. At one point in time, he talks about how the people who work in the cafe have started to recognize him. And that means he's become Mm -hmm. too familiar. But in his mind, he's made it a calculated risk because of all the benefits it gives him and because, you know, he likes it there and he's willing to be kind of indulgent. That's the key. Yeah, he, he, even though he's the one who was responsible for, uh, some of uh, Ashwin's uh, reconditioning and he himself has been reconditioned once that you hear uh, you get a sense that he's not quite as conditioned as he thinks he is and so it, it, there's that element of like kindred spirits between him and Ashwin but also what propels them to stay apart mm-hmm. and it's we hear about the reconditioning a little bit more he he talks a little bit about how kind of shocking it is that Ashwin ended up with Cora given what recalibration is and I think it's worth noting that Samson like voluntarily goes through recalibration under the logic of he doesn't or he's not willing to do to someone else what he hasn't like gone through like he's not willing to put somebody mm-hmm. else through that experience which I just think like says something about his character especially given everything we know about just how horrible recalibration is supposed to be um and i don't think it's any coincidence that um you know this book takes place in the writers series and he's getting so comfortable in this sector and i'm i'm very interested to see kind of what is in store for samson going forward you know this is obviously not the last we're gonna see of him like you said the kind of ominous ending to uh mm-hmm. the short story makes it clear that there's more in the works for him so it'll just be interesting to see how knowing brie and donna kind of how the long game will play out and where he'll fit into the puzzle and this is where I feel like we. I just read Ivan, but does he show up in Ivan? Is he the one that's there uh, who gets interviewed after? Like, I feel like they dragged in someone to talk to Gideon. I think it's Samson, and, isn't it? Yeah, I think takes, it's Samson. I think because this takes place in between the two, right? Yeah, in between yeah, the two. Yeah, so I think it's a, this one's sort of a setup to having him show up in Samson, in, in Ivan. Mm-hmm. And be sort of spill all this tea on why the there's so much attention being spent on sector one and some of all the different threats that are out there being positions against Gideon. Mm-hmm. 
I am uh, really, I just really like Samson as a character. And I think that it's just really interesting to see this kind of Makai character who has a lot in common with what we've already seen, but just in the differences mm-hmm. is able to kind of deepen what we know of like the world building and some of the other communities and histories and backstories. So I'm excited to learn more about him and why specifically he continues to keep an eye on Ashwin and Cora and how that's going mm-hmm. to develop and play out, especially, you know, we know Cora's pregnant. We know that that is mm-hmm. obviously going to um, shake up some things when the baby is actually born. And so it's, I'm really excited to see. Uh, moving on, the next one. So yeah, that was uh, Makai. The next one we're going to talk about is Diplomacy Sector 3 Style, which is just <laughs> such a good title. Um, and all of these have really great graphics. Um Brie and Donna do a really great job of setting up the graphic work when they do stuff like this, but I just really love this uh, picture of lemonade for some reason and mm-hmm. know it with the story, and it's just really great. Um, but yeah, so this is set after Ivan and is a converse, but is a conversation between Six and Gideon. So we've got more kind of uh, references to and characters from the Okane world coming over, which is always fun to see the overlap. Yeah, so I love the fact that you have Gideon trying to figure out how to broach the subject of Laurel with Six because he really likes Laurel, wants to keep her for his writers, uh, but doesn't want to be seen as poaching someone that belongs to Six. And they have a big exchange about that. And to me, the best part is all the dynamics of where Six just calls him on his crap and has no patience for God talk or divineness and how refreshing and bonding they they get over that mutual like yes thank you for calling me on the carpet I don't get that enough yeah and that's the really fun thing to see or really kind of nice thing to see is that Gideon appreciates that in her like Gideon appreciates having somebody who isn't buying into the god thing or the godly thing or kind of the mysticism Mm -hmm. of the Rios family and you know there's something about six that is very similar to um, to Dallas or to Lex and that kind of like no bullshit, no nonsense thing that Gideon really enjoys. And I love that basically the conversation that she calls him out on is the very idea of poaching a person. Like like Six mm-hmm. basically says like she understands he's talking politics, but if he doesn't understand that like Laurel is a free person and she doesn't want anybody who's not choosing to be there with her to be there with her like on her side like clearly shows that he just is like kind of fundamentally misunderstanding or he's still thinking in a way that's kind of old world almost or is is a symbol of an older way of thinking whereas she is saying you know Mm -hmm. that she only wants people on her side who are 110 percent ride or die committed to absolutely being there and that's what she wants for her people is to be wherever they feel that way so if laurel feels that way with the riders six doesn't laurel's an adult you know laurel's an adult free human person right he's doing this whole like leader to leader courtesy thing and she's saying that i don't own her she she's her person and so no don't be having this conversation with me yeah and i think that's like that's the key at the end of it all is that she is essentially saying you know you need to talk to laurel about this which is extra interesting when we know that this takes place after ivan so we've already seen kind of several different uh scenes or iterations of laurel having different conversations with different people about where she is gonna go and if she fits in with the writers and we see more and more of her in sector one and i think this is kind of even further setting up that kind of transition of 
her. And I love that Laurel is such a, like a floater. Like she is somebody Mm -hmm. who has managed to permeate the bonds between multiple sectors, between Six and Dex and Dallas and Lex (laughs) and Gideon and kind of all of these different social scenes and environments and ways of interacting. And she's able to move into all those worlds very differently. And so I, as a character, I think she's really interesting. One of my favorite moments is this actually doesn't have to do with Laurel, but it's about the uh, servant girl that walks in, which Gideon has invited to come in because she, she adores six and wants to train to be a writer, but is too young to train as a writer because unlike we've seen with Anna, who was being trained to be a writer since she was little, they typically don't train people to become writers because it's, they needed, they wanted to be coercion free. But if she's going to be as good as a writer can be, she needs to start training now as a young 16 year old or 14 year old. So he gives her that opportunity to go over to be with six. And it's, I just love that little moment of six having to deal with the fangirling and that element of her, like she, she, has bonded with so many teenagers, has become a mentor and mother, but she still <laughs> has like so much uncomfortableness with people looking at her and like uh, thinking that they can, that she's someone to look up to. Um, and I think that's where Gideon also makes a comment that she's just a little older than Maricela, but has lived so much more life uh, because in a much harder life, right? She is a warrior in a way that Maricela has been sheltered. I mean, in oh, we see in, in Ivan, her sheltering isn't without sacrifice and pain, but it just sort of speaks to that of the, the different life experiences and how it molds you. Yeah, and it's interesting because even as a reader, like I also like occasionally will need reminders of just how young Six is in comparison to some of the other characters or in comparison to the grand scheme of things because she has been through so much and she is kind of so hard and prickly and has that shell and is kind of wise beyond her years in a lot of ways. So yeah, when Gideon pointed it out, I even had my moment of being like, oh yeah, like six is not that old and she is has done a lot and is dealing with a lot. I also really love that moment. I love the idea of six being somebody's hero but like you said not not liking the idea just of heroes kind of in general like there's that whole moment where she says you know call me six and you know she she knows that she's a leader but she is still very much so not in that mindset and I think that there's something about that that makes some of the best leaders are those kind of almost people Mm -hmm. who are reluctant to do it or who are willing to do it because it needs to be done but don't necessarily let it become like a key defining principle. And I think that that's what Gideon, part of what Gideon sees when he sees her is somebody who's willing, who's able to do that in a way that he kind of is not. Um, And I like that he's thinking about that. I think that it continues to show Gideon's kind of shifting and thinking of what and how the writers are going to be structured. And, you know, she Mm -hmm. wants to become a writer, but I can't help but think that, you know, in a headcanon, maybe she decides to stick with six and maybe this becomes a different avenue for folks who want to serve but who maybe don't want to be writers and all that that entails and so you know we know Gideon is trying to shift the environment surrounding the writers and I think this is a really great kind of example of how he's continuing to do that right he's giving people avenues and opportunities that were not able to be before even you know and in it's and he's honestly doing it for her he's not doing it as a setup to like here I gave you someone you're gonna give me someone and it'll be an exchange it's not that at all he's very much wants to just put her in six's way so she has the ability to ask for what she wants and I think it's really great because of course six 
you know, basically leaves it up to her, right? And kind of says mm-hmm. that, you know, there's a spot for her if she wants to take it. And and really it's it's outlining a, a different future, which we'll talk about in our next episode. We see kind of echoed and reiterated in a really beautiful way when we get to fight night. And we really see kind of how mm-hmm. all of these different roles are opening up and falling into place. And But yeah, I really, really enjoyed, like it says, diplomacy sector three style, which is basically, you know, no bullshit, <laughs> no, <laughs> no fancy words, kind of cutting to the chase, which... We all love and is one of the things that I really love about Six and as a character in her story arc, getting to see specifically her develop in this kind of leadership role. Um, And as this kind of person, just knowing where she came from, right, being hauled in, literally kind of in chains and tossed onto the floor like she was nothing. And now, you know, Mm -hmm. seeing, knowing her whole journey, it's just. Right. So she's she's negotiating. trade deals essentially here she's at the table with people who you know descended from profits you know and and she deserves to be there yeah and yeah that's like you said we almost we didn't really talk about that like that's why they're there is that you know two has been providing a lot of the factory or sorry three has been providing a lot of the factory materials for this kind of you know new project that maricel is taking on making these homes for the war refugees and so it's really this you know it gets into the economics and into the fact that you know Mm -hmm. six is creating this sector that has this very like no handouts like it's a very Mm -hmm. which you know is this, can work for good and for bad, but in this case is very much so about being independent in a way that where you're setting your own terms. And that's something that Six mm-hmm. has never had. And so she's very intent on having other people do. Um, and so, yeah, just as always, lots of different pieces moving. All right, this last one is uh, just kind of fun. Just, uh, uh, you know, it's called Zombies. This is a Zeke and Laurel short. Mm-hmm. It is set after Ivan, and it's basically Laurel and Zeke hanging out. Uh, Zeke wants her to play this video game that he loves, and has an unexpected. Laurel has an unexpected uh, reaction to it. Um, so basically, Zeke wakes up Laurel in the middle of the night with baked goods, and basically makes her come play Left for Dead. Um, it's not quite Left for Dead, but it's a first-person <laughs> zombie shooter video game. Um, which yeah, they have a, they have kind of an and it kind of goes to like you said an, an interesting place. They kind of get weirdly emotional. I think when Zeke was just kind of planning on having a uh, an almost like a quote guys night video game, mm-hmm. just kind of decompression session. But that's the thing is that Laurel doesn't having things relax. jump at her. <laughs> yeah, is not relaxing. And they have this that having that conversation is in fact the point of this episode of this little vignette because for Laurel she's never had this before. A group of people that she can just that that will chat about feelings and will listen to it, so they don't have to fake it or they have so they have to like he wants to know why she's upset and why it didn't work for her. He actually cares, and that's not something she's had in her life. Part of why she's gonna feel at home there, and I love that whole thing of how Laurel has a room with the writers already, but she doesn't sleep in it. And we find out in diplomacy, I think the reason she doesn't sleep in it is because people from three have a hard time sleeping alone because to be alone isn't safe. So here she is like she she always sleeps in Zeke's extra bed and it's platonic and it's purely friendship. But it's about having 
a group of people that will have your back. And that's really the thing. And it does feel very sibling-esque, right? Like in the way that all the writers are siblings, but this specifically feels very much so like a brother and sister kind of arrangement. But yeah, and so I think that it's really interesting that even in those kind of small revelations, we get like this backstory for three at the same time that we're learning about Laurel and how she fits into the writers, but still is fighting this like history and backstory that she has yeah and Zeke is one of the the writers that isn't from sector one because he's a refugee from Eden so he has his own exile story right but it sort of highlights the differences between having grown up as a street rat in three versus uh being somebody who's exiled and has found new family because you almost get a sense that Zeke just is able to land in one has made at home and he doesn't have those traumatic feelings that she does but they're still bonded they're still friends they still see this commonality in each other and it's part of that promise that the writers give her it's not about she doesn't believe in anybody's god or whatever but she believes in this joint community of purpose. And I think that's really kind of a key thing about going forward the way that Gideon's trying to structure the writers, you know, and kind of what he's looking for when he's doing this is he's looking for those people that are looking for that structure community and for looking for a place to belong. And it's this kind of deeper emotional conversation between Zeke and Laurel in this context, um, you know, is really telling about the kind of community that they have and the bond specifically between Zeke and Laurel as these two kind of not outsiders, but not insiders either. These people Mm -hmm. who are kind of coming from these different environments to the writers looking to make it a home. And how they're changing and loving this world it's going to change who the writers are. Absolutely. All right, friends. Well, that has been our discussion of <laughs> next four stories. I hope you enjoyed all of our uh, contributions, including the infant ones. Uh, apologies. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so we will be covering the last of the Patreon shorts that are currently available. And um, from then on, then we're going to see about doing something with Brie and Donna and then maybe hiatus. So just Hang on with us some more. And if you haven't read those stories, you still have time to catch up. Yep, they are available on the website. I think the I think Gia and Girls Night Out may or may not still be behind the paywall. Zombies also was behind the paywall, just okay. as a FYI. Okay, that's good to know. But I do know that uh, Bri and Donna have also made some of these not behind the paywall anymore. So uh, yeah. keep in mind... In time, they will all come out from behind the paywall. So depending mm-hmm. on when you're listening to this, we will, of course, link to the uh, page on Brandana's website where all of the shorts can be found and you can read your way through them. But yeah, like Anna said, we have just a couple of more episodes. If you have questions for Brie and Donna, feel free to shoot them either to the show DMs or to Anna or myself, and we will pass those along. You can find us at beyondthesectors.com and at beyondsectors on Twitter. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at an outlaw life. And I'm Anna Co- And until next time, friends, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and we'll see you beyond the sectors. Bye, guys. Bye-bye.